We're starting a brand new series this week called Limitless, and uh, we're going to talk about living a limitless life. Now, um, to clarify, we all have limits that are outside of our control, right? We, we all have limits that are placed on us, uh, like, for example, speed limits, right? You can't do anything about that. I'm sure you'd love to rewrite some of the speed limits that you drive on every day, but you can't, so you have to. And if you want to break them, fine, but there's going to be consequences of that, right? Uh, we have physical limitations, right? Physical limits that are placed on us. Growing up, I wanted to be six foot six inches tall because Michael Jordan was six foot six inches tall and there was this song in this Gatorade commercial that said, I want to be like Mike and I wanted to be like Mike, so I wanted to be six foot six. Uh, my dad actually changed it because he's a good dad and he said, you don't want to be like Mike, you want to play like Mike because Mike got problems. So actually I started singing that in my driveway when I'd be out there shooting, I want to play like Mike, um, but I'm only six two and that is actually the only difference between us, if you, didn't, <laughs> if you can't tell. Um, just, just a couple more inches and it would have, my whole life would have been different. I wouldn't be here. Um, time. Time is one of those things that limits all of us kind of the same way, right? We all have 1,440 minutes in a day. Uh, seven days a week. We're limited by time. Uh, my wife and I joke all the time we'd love to add a day to the week and make it an eight-day week and have a day between Saturday and Sunday uh, where there's just this rule that you're not allowed to do anything. I know some of you are like, that sounds like the biblical Sabbath. Well, that is what we would like. But I want it to be against the rules to have kids' sports, parties, obligations. I want to take it a step further and say no texting, no email, no calling. This is what we're going to call it introvert day. Saturday, introvert day, Sunday. And you know what? <laughs> Complete size of half the congregation clap. Those are all the introverts. And they'd never clap, but they'll clap for that. <laughs> I just realized something, by the way, I'm 35, which means I could run for president this coming year, and I'm going to run just on that. Just everything I'm going to talk about is this eight-day week, introvert. I'll get 50% of the voters from both sides. All the introverts will vote for me, and I'll win. I don't want to know what else to do, but oh, that'll be it. Limits. You've got limits that are placed on us from the outside, but that's actually not what I want to talk about in this series. I want to talk about limits that we place on ourselves. Uh, now... You probably don't call them that, right? You probably don't say the sentence, I limit myself. You probably don't say that. Uh, we, we do it without realizing it, because if we realized it, we'd probably stop. But there are certain ways of thinking, certain habits we have, certain modes of operation that are kind of like self-imposed glass ceilings that limit us. And those glass ceilings that we have created, we have imposed upon ourselves, are the things that prevent us from being who God's called us to be and doing what God's called us to do. You aren't living the life that God's called you to live if you're not living it. Not because of limits placed on you from the outside, but limits that you've placed on yourself. So, so living a limitless life, the whole idea behind this series is not about removing these outside barriers. A lot of those you can't do anything about. It's going to be about removing the limits that you have placed on yourself. And today, the first one I want to talk about, the first limit that you've placed on yourself is a really big one. Uh, it's slightly abstract but it's massively important. And the first limit that you have placed on yourself is the lack of a dream. You don't have a dream for your life. You don't have like a vision for your life. You don't have a picture in your mind of how the next 10, 20, 30 years are gonna go. And I'm guessing you used to, right? When you were a kid, you had dreams. Michael Jordan, right? Uh, ballerina, what, what, firefighter, whatever. You had these dreams of what it was going to be like when you got older. And maybe even in high school and maybe into college, you still had some of that. You still had these aspirations. And maybe even in the early 20s, you were still there. But at some point along the line, whether you realized it or not, you stopped dreaming. You stopped dreaming. 
You stopped thinking about what could be and you started living in what is. And I don't know why. You, you maybe know why. Maybe you just gave up. Tried and didn't work. Maybe you got tired. Life can kind of wear you down. Maybe you got burned. Maybe you started to go towards the dream and then it didn't work out. Maybe you took a couple wrong turns and then you, you decided at some point where like I've just, I took too many lefts when I should have took a right and now I don't even know how to get back to that thing that's way over there because I feel like I'm way over here now and, and maybe you just kind of said, well, okay, this is my life now. Or maybe just the grind of everyday life just eroded away your dreams. But a lack of a dream for your life is a huge limitation on your life. I mean, think about it. Every character in the Bible who did something significant had a dream placed in their heart by God. I mean, all the, all the big ones. Think about it. Abraham, he, um, he was called by God and given a dream by God to have this people and this land that they were going to live in. Uh, God called Moses and gave him a dream of people that are free from slavery in Egypt. God called David and gave David this dream of being a king, like a good king. God called Paul and gave Paul this dream of planting churches all over the known world. Any major biblical character had this dream placed in their heart by God. So to be who God's called you to be, you need a dream. Without a dream, you're not living, you're just existing. You're just existing. So I want to show you a verse, I'm just going to show it to you and we'll talk about it. So it's Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. This is the King James Version here. Now, for you sticklers who are already saying you're taken out of context, shut up. I haven't said anything about it yet, and you don't even know, right? And there's not much context as Proverbs. I can play if you want to play. Um, for everybody who didn't grow up in church, you're like, what? Um, so let me explain. Um, on the surface, if you just read this, you know, okay, if there's no vision, people perish. So if you can't see, um, sounds like people die, uh, at least on some level, whether it's physical or not. Um, but I actually want to dig a little bit into this, into some of the Hebrew words here. So this is originally written in Hebrew and then it's translated into English. So I want to look at the word for vision that's in Hebrew. It's a really cool word. It's this word. And so just like as a side note behind the scenes, I usually, when it comes to stuff like this, I will phonetically spell it out in my notes so that you think I'm really smart and I can just say it. Um, but I couldn't do that with this word because the way you pronounce this is, um, hold on, chazon, chazon. You actually have to get a little something in your throat to do it right, okay? So I was going to have you all say it, but I don't want you to spit on the person in front of you. So it's, it's chazon. And uh, it, it's used in the Old Testament actually quite a bit. Um, it's translated vision, it's translated dream, it's translated prophecy, it's translated revelation. Um, but the common denominator, wherever this is used, is that whatever they call it, it's from God. Okay? Whether it's a dream, a vision, a prophecy, a revelation, it is from God. It's not just some dream that was had, it's not just some thing that somebody came up with. The source of a zone is God, not you or me. So it's a dream that God gave someone. Uh, now, here's why this is like a controversial verse. There are some people who read this verse and they say that um, the way you should read it is um, that where there is no revelation, the people uh, are unrestrained. You use different translations. Um, and what they say is about the, the revelation, where there is no revelation, well, we already have a re revelation, it's the Bible. So um, if you don't you know, have the Bible, you perish, you, you are unrestrained. 
Um, and I get it, I get it. I actually used to think that, I used to get really mad at pastors who would use this verse to like talk about the vision for the church. Um, but I think I figured out why uh, maybe we disagree on this verse. This word is a big word. I actually think this, ver- this word is bigger maybe than just narrowing it down to being uh, the Bible, um, which I know is a crazy sentence to say, but stick with me here. So I have an observation. Uh, this is not a revelation from God observation. This is an observation from Adam, so you can take this or leave it, but this is my observation. I think I can split Christians into two categories, okay? It's oversimplification, but whatever, follow me here. Um, Two categories. I think there are don't Christians and there are do Christians, okay? Don't Christians and do Christians. The don't Christians are really good at the don'ts, okay? They don't the don'ts. You understand? Um, All the stuff in the Bible that, 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 that the Bible says like not to do, they're really good at it. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't gossip. Don't get drunk. Don't lust. Don't murder. Don't, 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 don't. They're good at that. They got, they, they're, they're better than you probably at that, okay? Um, and, and if you take that to the real extreme, like if it's a spectrum, the don't Christians, the way extreme ones will view the successful Christian life as one of avoidance, okay? They're avoiding a lot of things that they're not supposed to do. And if they can check the boxes and don't the don'ts, they feel like they've done a good job. Like that's their well done from God. I didn't do the things you told me not to do, therefore I did a good job. That's one extreme. Now, the do Christians, the do Christians do really, really well with the things the Bible says to do, right? Help people, give to the needy, love people, be generous, like love people like Jesus loved them. Uh, the do Christians are really good at those do's. They do the do's. They view the successful Christian life as one of doing these things. And in the extreme, a doing Christian would actually not care all that much about some of the don'ts. It's, it's okay to do some of the don'ts as long as you're doing the do's. You follow? Good. Okay. I'm happy we're all on the same page. Um, first question. Which are you? Do you have a bent? Are you a don't Christian or a do Christian? If you had to pick, I know it'd be better to not have to pick, but what's your bent? You go to Mosaic, so I have a guess. <laughs> so I, I grew up in the don't camp, just so you know, like that's kind of my background. And honestly, I think anybody who grew up in church probably did because that was really the only camp that was around for a while, right? I was talking to my mom about this last week and she was, I forget the saying, mom, you said something like, uh, don't. Smoke, drink, dance, play cards, and don't date girls who do. Is that right? Something like that. Like that was the saying back then. It was all about the don'ts, don'ts, don'ts. And uh, so I grew up in that. And um, Mosaic is in many ways kind of a response to some of that. Because I realized (laughs) that's super incomplete. It's super incomplete. Uh, And my guess is that we have more Christians here who are do Christians than don't Christians. That's just my guess. But okay, second question, who's right? That's a trick question, right? Because yes and no, both and neither. Uh, Jesus, if you look at Jesus, Jesus was both, right? Jesus actually was a don't and a do. Jesus really was passionate about not doing what God said not to do. Jesus had a a zeal for um, living like a holy life, right? And he was passionate about doing what God said to do and loving people and being with people and being relational. So Jesus actually perfectly embodied both. And I just want to point out, he also died for your failures on both ends of the spectrum. You know that, right? 
No matter which your bent is, he died for the other. So if you're, if you're a doer of don'ts, he died for that. If you don't do the do's, he died for that too. He died for both. And it's not just that he died for it. I want to say he died for you, like to it as well. So that, so that not only um, does he die so that he covers that sin, but also that he wants you to be able to, to lean into that and actually get better at it. So if you are more of a do Christian who, who struggles with some of the don'ts, I think Jesus died not just to cover it, but to help you get better at it. And the same thing on the other side. Jesus wants you to be both. I, I believe a healthy, mature Christian actually is one who strives for both. Don't the don'ts, do the do's. One who is passionate about not doing what God says not to do and about doing what God says to do. Okay? Said all that <laughs> to say that Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. I think Chazon is both. This vision, this, this dream, this revelation from God is not just about not doing things. It's not just about doing things. It's about both. It's about this idea that God has for your life that does encompass some things that you shouldn't be doing and some things that you should be doing. It's both. You're bent. Probably dictates how you read the verse. Uh, and I kind of realized that as I went through um, changing teams, I suppose, if careful. I'm trying to be both people. Um, you're like, wait a minute. Pastor's a do? Does that, what does he do? What does he do? That, never mind. I'm confusing myself now. Chazon um, should be both. A dream, a vision from God includes things you're going to do and things that you're stopped going to do. When I say you need a dream, I know like what pops into our minds is like that, like what would you do if you won the lottery kind of a dream, you know what I'm saying? Like your dream house, your dream car, your dream spouse, your dream job, all that stuff, we start thinking about it like that. But that's not this, word. it doesn't really fit here. It's, it's not, I wanna call that shallow. It's deeper than that. When I say dream, when I say zone, I mean one that is imbued with purpose. I mean a dream that's marinated in meaning. I don't mean a surface level happiness because guys, I'm never after like the happiness when I'm, when I'm up here. I think you can find happiness. You drink a couple of beers and the Browns win today and you're good, right? You're happy. And, and then you, on the downward slide to next week when maybe something bad. I, happiness is cheap, it's shallow. I mean a soul level joy that comes from living the life that God created you to live that can't really be taken by circumstances swaying back and forth. Zone. So if I could give you a working definition. A dream is a holy, God-given, driving passion inside of you to do something significant with your life. It's holy, it's God-given, and there's this drive, this passion and you're after something significant, deep, meaningful. And it's from God, so it smells like heaven. Do you know what I mean? Again, we're talking about abstract things today. It's kind of hard. Do you have one? For whatever time you have left on this earth, do you have 18, 88, I don't care. Do you have a zone for your life? What's your dream? What's your dream? Because this says, if you don't have one, you perish. Now, I want to look at that word too, this word perish. It's the Hebrew word, it's a lot easier, uh, para. You're supposed to roll the R, but I'm not good at it. Um, it 
So this one, it can mean unrestrained, it can mean loose, uh, but in some places, it's translated naked and not the fun kind, okay? Um, <laughs> what I mean by that is like, you got everything taken from you, even the clothes in your back kind of naked, okay? So that's not a pleasant experience. It means having nothing, laid bare, empty, direct, directionless, perishing. Where there is no zone, the people when you don't have a God-given dream, you don't have a direction. And when you don't have a purpose, you, you're, you're empty. And by the way, when, you, uh, when I say you don't have one, I don't, mean you don't ha- I don't mean that you don't have one. I mean that you're not living in it, right? Because you have one. You're still alive, so you have one. You've stopped asking what it is. Maybe you spent your life pursuing your dream and you're finding out that it's not deep, it's not satisfying, it's not, it doesn't have that, that soul level thing. You're, you, you go from thing to thing and it works for a while and then it doesn't work. So maybe that's the problem. It's not that you don't have a dream, it's just you've been asking what your dream is and not necessarily what God's dream is. Jesus talked a little bit about this, uh, I believe anyways, in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So this is Jesus speaking. And I love the way this verse actually kind of mirrors Proverbs 29, right? Except for it's, it starts with para. This is, this is empty. This is death. This is perish. And it ends with zone, life, abundantly. So Jesus says he wants you to have abundant life, life to the full, life overflowing. He doesn't mean life with a lot of money. He doesn't mean life with a lot of stuff. He doesn't even mean a pain-free, suffering-free life. He means a life of abundant purpose. You follow? He means life of significance. He means a life overflowing with meaning. So let me ask you this question. Do you feel like you are living an abundant life? I don't mean nothing's gone wrong for a while. I don't mean that you got enough money or a nice house or any of that stuff. That's not what I'm asking. Are you living a life full of purpose, significance, meaning? Does your life drip with that? If the answer is no, what are you going to do about that? You don't want to perish. You don't want to live that kind of a life, an empty life. Now, my goal for this sermon is not for everyone to walk out of here, call their boss, and quit so they can pursue their God-given dream. Um, That would be wrong for most of us, probably. Uh, I think you probably need to stay where you are. I'm not sure, but probably. What you need to dream about is how God can take what you already are doing and imbue it with meaning. How can God take your current job and give it significance, like eternal significance? How can he light it up with rays from heaven and have the thing that you're already doing have weight that it doesn't currently have? So um, I volunteer for an organization called Main Street Wadsworth. We like puts on like the first Fridays and does a bunch of other stuff that I don't fully understand, but that's the main part that I'm involved with. Uh, and a couple weeks ago, I was helping out with the a food truck festival, Taste of Wadsworth, whatever you want to call it. Um, and trash cans needed emptying at the end of the night. And I was helping with that, and I was carrying trash up across a parking lot. I'm just, can I be real with you? You guys aren't going to judge me. You guys are cool. 
We're, we're a do church. You guys aren't going to do that. And I got salty about it, carrying this trash. And I had all kinds of bad thoughts. Like, I have a thousand better ways to spend my time than to carrying trash across the park. I got church to run. I got family at home. I got two degrees. This is beneath me. And I did think that. <laughs> and if you want to judge me for that, you can come up here and share your dirty, dark, horrible thoughts when you're in that. But you... You, you know, though, you at least understand, like, you know when you get in that place where you're just kind of frustrated with things and then you just think all the things that you shouldn't think and you get that, that everything's dark, everything, you get that, that dark perspective. And that's where I was, walking across this, this parking lot on a beautiful Wednesday evening. And I felt like God just kind of pushed me in the chest. And, uh, like, the question, why are you here, was asked. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm complaining about God. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I can't find it right now and then the verse I couldn't remember the address at the time but it was uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 popped into my mind whether you eat or drink whatever you do do it all for the glory of God I remember the last part whatever you do do it all for the glory of God whether you eat or drink or carry trash or change diapers or t- stare at a computer screen or wait on tables, or work a cash register, or drive a truck, or make a sales call, or work any mundane job that you do, do it all for the glory of God, all. Carry that trash as if God himself is the one that said, hey, that's full over there, can you grab that for me? Hoist this up a little higher, yes, Lord, I can, I can, I'm good now. Because if I do that, this crazy, right? That you, it says you can do everything for the glory of God, which means like even something stupid and mundane that, that physically means nothing can have some kind of spiritual significance that I can, in this wild, I can walk across a parking lot and somehow with a bag of trash give glory to the creator of all things by doing it. It's wild. But it, rather than it being something stupid, all of a sudden now it's, it's lit up a little bit. It, it glows a little, like, like there's, there's rays from heaven shining down on this dumb thing that I'm doing, and all of a sudden, I can say, you know what, okay, if, if you want me to do this, my attitude's going to be gone because I want to do it for you, as if you asked me to do it. It brings weight to it. Now, that's huge, and honestly, that's enough right? That's enough. If, if I just said that, hey, some of you, if you're in a mundane job, you just need to mentally fight for the perspective that, that you're doing this for God, that you're going to bring glory to God in it, and your attitude actually matters a lot whether or not you do, and that should be enough. But I think it's e- there's even more than that, so God gives us more than enough here, because the other thing that happened as I'm walking across this parking lot is I, I had this other realization, like, hey, people are always watching you, dude. Like, I'm still not used to that, by the way. <laughs> Somebody out in the lobby said, hey, pastor. I'm like, who's she talking to? <laughs> like, I still, I've been a pastor for eight years. I still, I'm like, not used to that. But people are watching you. And if I'm grumbling as I drag trash across the parking lot, I'm like, here you go. That's nice, pastor. Good job on that, really. <laughs> Want to go to your church, right? So again, the question, why are you here? And then, this little sentence, people close to me but far from God. That's why I'm there, just so you know. 
Um, Because I'm a pastor, I live in a bubble. I live around y'all, right? You're you're Christian. I think most of you are anyways. Some of you is questionable. But (laughs) by and large, if I didn't try, I could live inside a Christian bubble and not not have really any interaction with people who aren't Christians. So part of the reason I like volunteering is because I get to volunteer around people who aren't Christians. That's why I'm there. (laughs) God put me there, I would even say. And God put you where you are. You realize that? That even if your job seems pointless, even if your job, let's just say, is pointless, you being there isn't? Isn't that crazy to think? Like, matter of fact, wherever you are, this is at least part of the reason. You you know, if you ever ask the question, why am I here? This is going to be at least some of the answer for you as a Christian. That God is actually putting you close to people who are far from him. God is putting you there. God wants you to influence them. That is your zone. God put you in their life for a reason. To be a a light in dark places. To be a positive in the midst of negative. To be an encouragement in a discouraging world. God wants to use you to draw them to him. Because people are watching you, Christian. They're listening to what you say. All of it. On the record, off the record, all that crap. They're listening to all of it. They're watching what you do. Maybe even more important, they're watching how you do what you do. That's probably more than just what. And that fact imbues everything you do with meaning and purpose. Everything. This is why you need vision. You need a zone. You need to be able to see beyond the physical to the spiritual. It might not be physically significant, but it is immensely spiritually significant. That everything you do when people watch, they're either going to be drawn to God or pushed away from him because of that. And that is significant beyond, way far beyond what you can see. So, I think you're limiting yourself by not having a zone in the mundane small things of your life. Abundant life. Abundant life in the small things. Can you imagine if if even taking trash from one place to another, you somehow had the perspective that I'm doing this for the glory of God, and then Jesus says the sentence, I want you to have abundant life. And if you could even grasp carrying trash as something that can bring glory to God, that is abundant. That is overflowing. Your life would just overflow with meaning if you can do everything for the glory of God, right? It would almost be too much. And I think that's what Jesus is offering you here, the opportunity for everything that you do to be significant, to have meaning and purpose. That's crazy. Now, what I'll end with to you who do not need to quit your jobs, maybe you don't need to change what you do. Maybe you need to change the way you see what you do. Maybe that's the shift that has to happen for you. That's your zone. See what you do as significant because you are doing it for God and there are people watching you and God might use that to draw them to him. Eternally significant. Now, some of you, you're supposed to step out. You are. I don't know if you're supposed to quit like right now. Probably not. But maybe you're supposed to start working towards that. I don't know. You're called to step out of what you're in and step into something else. You have a God-given dream 
that requires you to make some serious changes to take a giant leap you just haven't yet. You're hesitating. Or you've flat said no. I don't know. I want to show you um, something Paul did. So Apostle Paul is this guy who uh, God just kind of miraculously saves him and then gives him this mission. And Paul's going around planting churches all over the known world. Paul is the greatest missionary to ever live. And in Acts chapter 20, um, he, he talks about his dream, his vision. He says, and now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I love this. These are some of the most amazing verses that Paul ever says. So he says he's bound to go to Jerusalem. That's his zone. That's his dream. That's his vision. He's got to go to this city. And then he says, I don't know what's there though. But from experience, I know that the Holy Spirit tells me every city I go to, it's kind of the same cycle that I'm going to have jail and suffering. So that's probably what waits for me in Jerusalem, by the way. It was. Spoiler alert. But he says he's drawn to that. This is his God-given dream. Not just that he feels strongly about it, but he's bound by it. It's almost this magnetic pull that he can't get away from. And then he says, but I don't know what's there. Isn't that crazy? I don't know what waits for me, but I have this dream. I have this pull. I don't know the details, but I know that I'm supposed to do it. And if I don't, Look at, so, so yeah, he's not sure what's going to happen, but if I don't, my, my life is worth nothing. Para, right? I, I, I'm empty. I have, no, I have nothing. I, I have to do it because if I don't, this is what it really is. I, I mean, it might be jail and suffering, but it, at least it's imbued with meaning and significance because if I say no, then I just, it's worth nothing. So I guess the first thing I want to point out is that pursuing your dream is scary. It's scary. It's actually part of how you can know it's from God, by the way. <laughs> I think only dreams that are scary come from God. Um, if you're comfortable with it, if you can handle it, if it's small enough for you, you got this. That might just be a you dream. That might not be a God dream. I think God, God dreams are God-sized, and they're going to come with a, a little bit of fear. I feel like your adrenaline might be pumping a little bit. Your heart might be in your throat a little bit. It's supposed to be scary. I hope that frees somebody up. If, if you're sitting here waiting for it not to be scary, if whatever the thing is, I don't know, if you're, if you're like, man, I know I'm supposed to do this thing, but I, I, ah, I'm going to wait until it's not scary anymore. I hope that frees you up. It's supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be scary. That's, that's the way it's supposed to be. Now, let me address another group in the room. Might not be, maybe you're waiting because you think it's not supposed to be scary and you're waiting for it not to be scary and you need to stop waiting. Some of you can't dream about what God could do in your life because you're so detail-oriented. You feel like you need to know and understand every detail in order to start in the direction that God's tugging you. I looked at my wife. I usually don't look at her, but... My joke with my wife is, you know, that saying, can't see the forest for the trees... 
my wife only sees the bark on one tree. <laughs> Down in the minute, most minute detail, she definitely misses the forest sometimes. But some of you are the same way. You're so detail-oriented, you, you so, and there's a little bit of control there, can we be honest? There's a little bit of control there because you don't want to take a step towards something until God tells you every step to the dream, including all the details about the dream. But if you look at this, this is not the case, right? Paul says, I got an idea of a city that I'm supposed to go to. That's all I got, <laughs> right? But what is it? He's so like, excited about that, so passionate about it, that he's like, okay, I'm going. God will tell me when I get there. And I know that's like a personality trait, right? Some of you are like, that's awesome. I'd love to live like that. And then other people, that is an actual nightmare, right? You need to know every single detail of every single thing. Or you can't, it's like you physically can't make yourself take that first step. You just need to know all the things, right? God says, go east. And you're like, yeah, but where? How far? What road? How will I know I'm there? And God's like, east. You're like, should I walk? Should I take a bike? Should I take a car, a canoe? Should I pee first? <laughs> and you're letting a lack of details that God's not giving stop you from taking that first step of obedience. And you're justifying your disobedience by saying that you want answers to questions that God evidently doesn't think you need. There are two points on a map that are really important, right? Where you are and where God wants you. There's a whole lot of unknown in the middle, isn't there? I mean, if you, again, just, just back up and, and start reading these biblical character stories and try to actually envision being there. The story is never a straight line from one thing to another, right? God, the God crowns David king. How long was it before he actually becomes king? And what kind of a nightmare it was between there? Like, take that story and just paste it over every biblical character, every promise, every dream. It was way, getting there was way different than they thought. And I think we just kind of have to accept that. By the way, having an unknown element means that it requires faith. That's the part that, that, that you're supposed to have faith on, is the unknown. So, detail-oriented people. If God is saying go east, man, start. Go. Start walking. I don't know where I'm going. Who cares? Go. Take the first step, whatever it is. Now, You know why some of you hate this sermon? I'm just going to be real with you. Some of you hate it. I don't know who you are. Baby, one. <laughs> Different problem there. Some of you hate this sermon and sermons like it because whenever you talk about a dream for your life, whenever you talk about a vision for your life or even purpose for your life, you hear it in like the context of your whole life. And what I mean is you immediately start doing the, the if only thing. You know? You think about that dream that you did have way back then and that you're not living in now and you start doing if-onlys. If I only knew then what I know now, I would totally be living in the dream right now, but since I didn't, I'd not. Or if only um, I hadn't made that decision, oh, that decision just threw my life way off course and here I am. If only I hadn't married him, right, or her, and that's the thing that just kind of blew everything up. Or if only I had gone to school back then and got it over with, then I could be living in it now. Or some of you, it's kind of the opposite. If only I hadn't gone to school and I'm drowning in, in this debt now, right? You got a bunch of if onlys because you're here. You're not at the beginning of the journey. You're in the middle somewhere and you're hearing this 
sermon in, in the context of the whole thing. So you want to back up and go back to the beginning so that you can take the right path rather than the wrong path. And then you'd think you'd be in it. But I, can we just forget the past for a minute? God wants to give you a zone now. Right now. Starting right now. See, see, our God's the God of new beginnings, right? He specializes in fresh starts. He's not looking at your life right now going, wow, you messed that up big time, man. Like, this is a knot that I actually can't untangle. I know the Bible says I can do everything, but not this. This is impossible. Gabriel, come check this out. It's a nightmare these people have made of their lives. That's not God. From right now to the end of your life, you can live in a God-given dream, a God-given zone. You can have a vision to see meaning in the mundane. You can dream to see beyond what is to what could be. Stop believing that the mistakes of your past prevent you from having purpose now to the end. And again, I don't care how much time you have left. God can do something with your life from right now to the end. And, and he wants to. Again, it's one of the things we say here all the time. If you're not dead, God's not done. You're alive for a reason. If he was done with you, you, you wouldn't be living. It's, that's, that's the end. There's still something he wants to do with you. There's still a purpose. There's still meaning. There's still significance left. The rest of your life can be lit up with the rays of heaven. Eternally significant. Satisfying. So don't let the lack of a dream limit you. And with this, it's a prayer by the name of a guy named Sir Francis Drake and whatever a guy with that kind of a name says it's got to be right <laughs> disturb us Lord when we are too well pleased with ourselves Ugh, I don't know if it, you, this is a dangerous prayer to pray just so you know if you're happy and comfortable right now you might not want to pray that when our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little when you arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore wow yeah careful with that one see but that's where the significance is though isn't it it's out there it's not you can stay close to shore you can stay safe it's fine you can live that life but where the purpose is where the significance is where the meaning is it's out so man if you're if you're feeling a lack of significance if you're not feeling like you're living an abundant life pray this with me 